Welcome to the 2020 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 6, the Spanish Grand Prix. Just when you think the championship is about to break open, Lewis Hamilton comes along and dominates the Spanish Grand Prix. Mercedes showed no signs of its Silverstone tyre woes in Barcelona, where Hamilton was able to win from Max Verstappen by almost half a minute. But in a race that lacked on-track action, there was plenty to consider behind the scenes, including the fate of the second Red Bull racing car and, yes, those Sebastian Vettel radio calls to the Ferrari pit wall. To pick the eyes out of what was a pretty lean meal, I'm joined by F1.com senior writer Lawrence Barreto. Lawrence, how are you doing? Well, firstly, Michael, thank you very much for <laughs> selecting me for this podcast for the second year in a row. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether I should feel honoured or um, that this just is a, um, it just tells you how much you like me or not like me, I guess. <laughs> No, it takes a special kind of man to enliven a race that really had very little life in it. So it's a compliment. Oh, it is a compliment. I'll take it as a compliment. Thank you, dude. Thank you. <laughs> the Spanish Grand Prix. Look, let's get a couple of things out of the right out of the way. We weren't meant even to have a Spanish Grand Prix no. in Barcelona this season. Uh, so if anyone was upset with Formula One generally as a sport, relax. <laughs> it wasn't meant to happen. Uh, but this is, I mean, we, we do say this every year, but this tends to happen in Spain, A, because the circuit profile is, you know, not that conducive to overtaking, but also Formula One tests here. There's oh no circuit goodness. better known by everybody than this track. I mean, there's not really much reason to expect anything other than this, is it? No, exactly. I think the very fact that we saw Haas looking all right on Friday <laughs> tells you how easy it is for the teams <laughs> to find the baseline, frankly. Um, no, it. you're right. The drivers, the teams, they know it so well. Um, the media, everyone who comes here knows this place so well um, that we kind of know what we're going to get unless you get a freak rainstorm mm. um, or something which obviously didn't didn't en- end up hitting um, <laughs> at the weekend. Um, you're just going to get a race that's a little bit dull, uninspiring, <laughs> I guess you could call it. <laughs> there are plenty of adjectives I'm sure we could throw at this one. Uh, <laughs> Keep the we'll keep them to a minimum and try and just talk about the things that were interesting, I suppose. And there were, to be fair, there were some interesting things that came out of this race. We're just trying to. Uh, I, I try not to dampen the mood, should you say? <laughs> dampen the mood like the rain that never arrived. It's a shame, <laughs> terrible shame. Let's set a little bit of context for this race, though, because I feel like part of if anyone were disappointed, if anyone was so disappointed with this race, it might have been because there was quite a lot of hype coming into this round. Partly because the two races we had at Silverstone went in quite dramatic and unforeseen directions. And we even got someone who won without driving a Mercedes, which is pretty unusual for Formula <laughs> One in the modern era. It was Max Verstappen, of course. And we felt that the, the combination of weather being a Spanish summer, uh, it was going to be a warm circuit. And the, the testing nature of this track as well might have swung the pendulum towards Red Bull racing again and given us a, a more competitive race picture. And Friday practice data seemed to suggest that Red Bull Racing was in that ballpark, particularly on the medium tyre. Worth pointing out, yes, that the the hardest Pirelli tyres, the C1, C2 and C3, were at this circuit. So similar to two weeks ago at Silverstone. But I couldn't help but feel, and I think I said this on the podcast last week, that Mercedes never falls into the same trap twice, do they? Was it too ambitious for people to think that Mercedes would have the same problem two weekends in a row? I think so. I think, I guess you could say that there was only a few days between the races. um, And so perhaps that raised hopes that they might not quite have enough time 
um, to sort their problems out. But like as Toto was saying on Sunday, they were all in the office like first thing on Monday morning trying to work out exactly what had gone wrong. And like you just said, Michael, if there's going to be one team that can can get on top of their problems and quickly, it's Mercedes. And they've shown that time and time and time. And again, I guess you could only count on one hand how many races that they've struggled with in the turbo hybrid era. I can't speak honest. And yeah, they've been few and far between. So I guess we shouldn't be too surprised that they managed to get on top of things. They were still struggling with the rears going into Sunday's race. And I think there were some concerns, but Lewis had that under control from the very beginning. He was just very sensible, wasn't he, in terms of controlling that pace. Is it fair to say, without sort of uh, preempting, we're going to talk about Valtteri Bottas a little bit later on, but is it fair to say that Lewis is extracting the maximum from this car, or perhaps even more than the maximum, if that is possible? I guess it really depends on how you define that kind of thing. And that Valtteri is actually more or less where that car would be in anyone else's hands? is Because it strikes me that in races like this, where you've got the leader, he leads from pole, he leads every lap, he kind of makes it look easy to Lewis Hamilton, but there was so much going on in that car in terms of what the driver was doing to extract that pace that actually it's kind of understated in some sense. I think he obviously benefited from the fact that he was the only one running in clean air, so that definitely would have helped him. But I do think you're right that Lewis... There's a few drivers this year that are outperforming their cars, and, and, and Lewis is definitely one of them. I think Max, Charles, and Pierre Gasly are probably the other ones, but I think that it does always, it does look easy when Lewis kind of pulls away from pole and then controls the race from the front. But he was exhausted um, at the end of that race. He, he was he was knackered and you could see how hard he had to work. And he, he put himself into his zone. He said that he didn't even realise it was the last <laughs> lap um, uh, when he'd finished. Uh, so concentrated was he uh, on the Grand Prix. I think that what we're seeing now and we're just getting used to is just Lewis is just at another level and we're now used to him just always being at another level. And I think that's quite something really, isn't it? It really is, and it's a, It's almost a bit of a shame that in races like this, you don't really necessarily appreciate it. You know, there have been races, fortunately, in the last couple of years where it's been really obvious that Lewis has made the difference because maybe there, there has been more competition, whether that's from his teammate or from a, another car. But in a race like this, you know, you don't... I'm, can't even remember really seeing him on the TV at all no. yesterday. So there wasn't really much even opportunity to see what he was doing. But that's, I guess, the nature of winning by almost half a minute, which is, I mean, the margin in the end it was quite a bit. Uh, I think one thing also worth dispelling here as well, and this is going to come into, I think this season particularly, because of the, the weird array of tracks we've got this year that, that have moved a little bit away from, let's say, Red Bull Racing territory, the really slow circuit territory. We've got a lot of fast, high downfall circuits. But... They're not really all the same. Like Silverstone isn't that similar to Barcelona, is it? And Barcelona, by virtue of uh, looking at the rest of the field as well, is more of an all-round test. It didn't really play only to the weaknesses Mercedes had, but also to some of its strengths, didn't it? No, exactly. And I think that we were perhaps a little guilty of getting carried away by just looking at the similarities in the weather um, from Silverstone to here. Um, And obviously the tyre struggles that... Um, Mercedes had at Silverstone and Barcelona is notoriously quite tough on the tyres anyway but as you said they brought the set of tyres that were a step softer than they had at the second Silverstone race and um, I think then Mercedes were instantly much more comfortable in this range. And so it's a combination of factors really that delivered a result that allowed Mercedes to pretty much maximise depending on exactly 
how much you want to focus on the very small imperfection of this weekend, but pretty much max- maximize that result. Before we get into the race proper, though, there is one more thing I wanted to bring up because this could very well be pertinent for the, the next Grand Prix in Belgium. But it's this subject that's sort of come a little bit out of nowhere. It's the qualifying engine mode, yes. party modes, as Lewis Hamilton coined. Uh, Mercedes has obviously been pretty dominant in qualifying this year. The margin was just about a second in this race, as it has been the last couple of races, really. And there's talk about whether or not this is whether or not it's aimed at, at reducing Mercedes' advantage, but whether or not that's going to be the, the principal effect. Do you think that if that does come to pass in the way that we expect, where it's simply going to be you know, maybe one or a couple of more moderate engine modes that you can use throughout the weekend, is that going to change the complexion of this championship or is it really just going to bring everything back to the mean and we won't get much of a difference? I think that if Mercedes' advantage wasn't as big as it is, particularly in qualifying, uh, we might see a closing up of the field but I think in reality it's probably not gonna really hurt them uh, Toto was talking about it at the weekend and he was suggesting that uh, if anything if they're not going to be using these qualifying modes that's actually gonna make them stronger in the race um which is a terrifying thought frankly <laughs> um, but they don't seem bothered and if you look at the, the gap that they've got and the advantage they've got in qualifying even in q1 and q2 before they even have to go near these party modes it's so significant that um i don't i don't think that either lewis or Valtteri are going to be that bothered really um if anything it just shows how good a job that they're doing that um i'm not saying that the reason that they are making these changes is because of the advantage they've got but it does kind of give them confidence um, that the others are running scared, effectively. If you know that they're so worried about, they think that they're going to gain anything by these engine modes not being able to be used. It's going to be interesting to see if this all does come to pass because it's uh, it's a restriction on something that I guess is historically in this turbo hybrid era been a, a clear Mercedes strength. So if that were to be neutralised, even if it meant that they somehow became overall more strong, uh, <laughs> it would be very interesting to see perversely anyway let's look at the race itself there's not a lot to talk about in terms of lewis hamilton's strategy to win only a couple of key moments really first 10 laps everyone started on the soft tire it looked Mm -hmm. like it was going to be close but those 10 laps really lewis was just kind of assessing the situation uh, seeing how those tires were holding up and after that he extended well past lap 20 and really got away from max verstappen from there that was almost the race confirmed at that point i thought it was interesting though in the last couple of rounds, we've been commenting on, you know, Max sounds very jovial on the radio, does not <laughs> joking with his engineer. This weekend, not so much. There was much more aggression on the radio. Do you think that was a little bit of a realisation in the team itself that, you know, maybe they bought into the belief that they were on Mercedes level and sort of all realised at once that it wasn't quite so easy? I think Max definitely realised very early on in this race that, the tie advantage that everyone had suggested Red Bull would have wasn't there at all. Um, and I think that that bore out in his frustration on the radio. Look, we've seen Max get upset <laughs> on the radio plenty of times. I think it's amazing that he's got the capacity to to get angry and, and, and put his, you know, just tell the team essentially what he thinks just while he's going around trying to catch Lewis Hamilton. I think it's brilliant uh, that he's he's able to do that. I thought it was slightly unnecessary the extent to which he just (laughs) kept hammering them. I know we don't get all of the radio messages, but I just thought he just kept, you know, I thought he he hammered them too hard. And obviously the team know way more than he does about what's going on around him. They know exactly, you know, 
what they need to do. They can see the weather, for example, coming in and things like that. And I and I thought that he, I think the reason why he was getting so frustrated is because he realised that this wasn't going to be his afternoon very early on. Yeah, exactly. Only really 10 laps in and uh, you could see the way this race was going. If we do look briefly at Hamilton before we pretty much wrap up his race, uh, there was one moment, and he elaborated a little bit on this after the Grand Prix, that did stand out as one of those moments where we do see the influence from the cockpit, Lewis Hamilton influencing his own results. And that was the decision to switch to the medium instead of the soft mm. for his final stint. Bottas had switched to the soft to try and chase down Max Verstappen. Uh, and Hamilton said that, you know, because of the, the, the data he looked at on Friday after practice, that he was confident medium was correct rather than soft. Uh, the engineers did want to originally put him on soft, but, but went with his instinct. I guess that really does show, I mean, sometimes Formula 1's kind of criticised, isn't it, the engineers dictate too much, but there is room for the driver to have quite a big say if they're confident in what they've seen. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing with, with Lewis, I think people might think that he leaves the track early, mm. gets in late because he's winning and he's very comfortable. But like he in Barcelona, he was there till comfortably 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, spending time with his engineers, trying to work out the best way to approach the weekend. So it doesn't surprise me that when he points out that factor that you know he thought that the medium was the better choice, is that's... He'll have had a wealth of information at his disposal when he's made that decision. I imagine that what happened at Silverstone will have been in the back of his mind as well. And given the advantage that he had, why not be more cautious? Um, it's very difficult to overtake it in Spain. He kind of knew, knew he had neutralised the threat from Max. So there wasn't, re- if he was worried about the soft and how that would perform in the final sector, there was absolutely no need for him to go down that path for the sake of an extra point for fastest lap. He already knows that he's got a sizable advantage, not over Max, but perhaps more importantly over Bottas now in the championship. And for the sake of a single point, there was absolutely no reason for him to take any risk. Um, But I do like your point about the fact that he was dictating tyre strategy. I think in Formula One, we should see more of that, really. Um, I know they don't always have that specific point that we were just talking about with Max or the information. But if Lewis wants to do the medium, then he should do the medium. You know, he should have the opportunity to try and change a race or dictate a race um, as he see fit. It would be interesting to see more driver influence on that front. And we don't know exactly how much there is because, like you sort of said earlier, we don't get all of the radio. We're not privy to all of the decision-making, obviously. So it's hard to say exactly to the extent. But certainly Lewis does seem to stand out. He's done that a couple of times where he's tried to sort of influence a race. Although, also, as you said, it is often because there's not that much to lose. <laughs> For Lewis, he's usually in a pretty good position by the time he starts making strategy calls. So <laughs> yes, indeed. I guess there is always that to consider. If we do want to contrast him with Bottas, though, in that final stint in particular, he was in a, a race-long battle, essentially with Max Verstappen, because he had a bit of a poor start. That was really the undoing of his race. But he had quite a big tyre offset. It was, it was Mercedes working to try and give him something, maybe particularly considering that as a result of um, unforeseen strategy, let's say in the last race, he, he lost mm-hmm. positions to Hamilton. But he had a decent tyre offset on Verstappen, who stopped on lap 41. He stopped on lap 48. He also had the soft tyre. It seemed like, given the performance Hamilton had with that car, Bottas shouldn't have had too much trouble getting past Verstappen. But, I mean, what did you make of the fact he just could not close that gap? Um, I don't know how to word this, but <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think there's been a number of times that we've seen throughout Bottas' time at Mercedes where he's had a significant pace advantage 
over the car in front and he just hasn't got the ability to make it count. Um, so I, I wasn't particularly surprised that he didn't make it work this time around. I th- I just feel like uh, there are t- too many times when Bottas doesn't seem to have that killer instinct where he needs to react almost immediately to make use of the advantage that he has at that point in time and then I imagine it probably gets into his head that he can't he hasn't made it stick when he's needed to and that just puts even more pressure on him um he cut a really disappointing figure yesterday um after the race I, I I feel like yeah I know it's very early on but I feel like yesterday was a point where he realized that the title might be slipping away um I know we've only had six races but I think that just the fact for him mentally to try and come to terms with that he wasn't able to catch Max when he really had a car that was capable of doing so, catch him and passing him, even on a difficult track like Spain, probably hit home that um, it probably isn't going to happen again this year. Um, and that's going to be really hard for him to come to terms with. And it is a shame, of course, for everybody else as well, who really need Bottas to enliven this title, I think, because as much as Red Bull Racing feel like there's that potential in that car, and perhaps later in the season that will come on tap, it seems like they've made a little bit of a step in the last couple of rounds, still clearly not quite enough. Yeah, by the time they ever do make that step to get on roughly equal terms with Mercedes, it's way too late. It's The season is gone. So... It is really up to Bottas. Maybe that pressure is too much for him. Maybe. And, you know, I would say the first couple of races in Austria, I thought that he... We've talked about Bottas 2.0. I'm not sure what we are in this <laughs> at this point. Bottas 3.0, 2.5. I don't know. We're somewhere somewhere in that realm. Um, I thought that he seemed stronger mentally. Mm. And um, I thought that we might have had a tougher fight from him this year. But... It's the same sort of pattern is emerging that as soon as something goes wrong, even if it's not within his control, he, he, he struggles to then hit back instantly. So, for example, when he was running secondly and he had the puncture and he didn't get that result at Silverstone, obviously that's not his fault, but it hit him hard. And what he wasn't able to do in the next race was hit back instantly. And I think that's what he, he needs to do because Lewis, as we've seen, is relentless. Um, he doesn't make mistakes. He, he everything seems to be going with him. He rarely retires the car, um, and Bottas does. He needs to be perfect, like Nico Rosberg was in that campaign when he beat Lewis. And unfortunately, in the races that we've seen so far, he hasn't been near enough to perfect. Perhaps a difficult season for Valtteri Bottas. That was the order of the order of the top three. Lewis Hamilton very much in control of this race on a two stop strategy. Max Verstappen similar two stop strategy. Really did his own race pretty much from after that first stop when it became clear that Lewis Hamilton was a different league and Valtteri Bottas, unable to make much of a difference despite running that soft tyre at the end, did get a point for faster slap, but pretty cold comfort for him. Mm-hmm. Before we look at some of the other point scorers, there's one man I want to talk about in particular. We've contrasted Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. Max Verstappen and Alex Albon is a, a pairing that has already attracted some attention this season, certainly, because Verstappen's been getting such terrific results in that car, including a race win last time out, and Alex Albon has been quite a way off, particularly in qualifying. This race, he couldn't make it back up into the top four when it seemed like you know he'd qualified sort of close-ish, even if the time gap was still quite significant, uh, and had probably one of his more difficult races of the season, I think. He didn't really have quite as many of the overtaking highlights. He had a few and wasn't able to crawl up uh, the order quite the way that you probably should have expected that car to. 
it seemed he also seemed quite dejected after the race, didn't he? Is this a bit of a turning point for Albon as well? But unfortunately, perhaps in the wrong direction. I think it was really unfortunate for Alex because after qualifying on Saturday, I appreciate that the time gap to Max wasn't brilliant. But I felt like he'd made a step forward there. And I think he felt at last, because Saturday's where he's been struggling, that he'd made some gains. So that coming into the race where he has traditionally been much stronger um, all season um, and consistently so, um, he would have expected a better afternoon. The problem was, uh, and I'm not really sure why they did it, they put him on the hard tyre for that second stint. And like, sorry, when speaking to drivers on Friday about it, Lando Norris described the hard as garbage. <laughs> Uh, George Russell said it was horrific. I'm not. I have no idea why Red Bull went anywhere near that tire. You know, I guess you could, you could say that given where he was track position, they could try something different. Perhaps run that long, maybe, and try and make a one stop work that way round. Um, but it was his race was ruined from the minute he got on that tire because you could just see he he had no confidence in the car. He had no grip and. Um, he needs some confidence and that probably wasn't the way to go for Red Bull. Um, it was too much of a risk. It could have worked out brilliantly, obviously, if they could make that tyre last, but um, it just didn't work. So I thought in this occasion, Red Bull actually hurt Alex. Um, um, and I, I feel really bad for him because it was a really, really tough afternoon. Lap 17 was that stop. It was the first driver in the field to stop switching to that hard tyre and Maybe it seemed like there were prospects of a hard fought, but maybe ultimately rewarding one-stop race, but he could only get that title lap 39. Is it too speculative to say that that early stop, it dropped him into traffic as well behind Esteban Ocon. He couldn't pass him because Ocon was on the medium and going quite long himself. But that early stop was a bit of an exploratory maneuver from Red Bull Racing to see if that was the thing Verstappen might be able to to do differently to overhaul Hamilton. I mean, we know Red Bull Racing has sort of admitted the only way they're going to beat Mercedes is to do something different was this an exploration kind of stop for Alex Albon a bit of a sacrificial pit stop honestly I did think that when they pitted in that early because I'm pretty sure he was the first one to stop um and at that point everyone on the soft was actually the lap times were actually reasonable um I know that I think Pirelli said that they would the window opened around lap 15 um but generally speaking they teams managed to stretch that window um quite comfortably um, I was surprised that they they went that early. Um, they dumped that tyre that early. But you're right in the sense that they could use Alex. If they genuinely still wanted to have a chance with Max to win the race, they could use Alex as a guinea pig um, to test out that tyre. But, but in doing so, not only would that potentially damage his race if it didn't work out, but it, it could have a, a implications on his confidence. And at the moment, I feel like what you need to do with Alex is put an arm around him, um, which I think, in fairness, Christian Horner is trying to do. He's been very positive about it. But they just need to find a way to consistently um, back him and help him make progress on track. And that was perhaps a risk too far, even if it was with the best of intentions. It strikes me as interesting as well. And this is probably going a little bit into the realms of speculative, hypothetical maybe, and uh, certainly a broader picture than just this race alone. But it's been quite a while since Red Bull Racing has, maybe not the the correct word isn't to engineer two cars, but have had been able to run two cars competitively or at, at the same competitive level. Now, maybe that's because... Max Verstappen is just on another level. Maybe there is no one else on the grid, bar maybe, you know, a Lewis Hamilton or some such, who could compete with Max in the same car. And actually, this second driver is actually the mean of the car, the, the, the average performance. But 
Now that we've had evidence of, of Alex Albon, admittedly only over the first six races of this season, a little bit at the end of last year, but this being his first full one. And then, of course, looking back to, to Pierre Gasly last season, is it beginning to look like this might be more something to do with either that team or that car than necessarily the two drivers who have occupied that set? I think it's a really good point um, about the fact that Red Bull, I guess you have to go back to when Sebastian and Daniel were teammates. Um, or even maybe further back to when Sebastian and Mark Webber were teammates, where they've had to engineer a car um, for two drivers who, even if they weren't super close, you, they were still ca- both capable of winning races, for example. Um, so perhaps they are struggling on that because it's not a case of just being able to switch a tap on and switch a tap off uh, when you've got a driver capable of, of performing at the highest level. I think it's a combination of things. I think that Alex um, has struggled with a car that, particularly early in the season, um, was not that stable. And so I guess when you've not got a car that's working in the way that the team expects, um, it's already going to be harder for a a driver with less experience. And we've got to remember that Alex still is a very young driver. He doesn't have that many Grand Prix under his belt. And he's also next to arguably one of the most exciting talents that Formula One's seen in decades. Um, It's always going to be a hard comparison. I think that um, Red Bull perhaps weren't were hoping that Alex would be closer to the performance of Max and I think that it's perhaps unrealistic to think um well it's not realistic to think that many drivers are able to do that and so perhaps maybe they just need to reset their targets and ambitions for Alex and that doesn't mean that he Alex can't go on to regularly score podiums and win races but I think you've got to start accepting that there's no one really on the grid um, perhaps maybe apart from Lewis who can match Max so you've just got to maybe reset your expectations with Alex It is going to be interesting to see how that pans out over the course of this already unusual season and of course we all hope that Alex can can turn that around it's never good to see a driver so downbeat as Alex or even Valtteri Bottas was at the end of this race Just before we touch on I think the other major talking point of this Grand Prix from a strategic and other point of view, which is Ferrari. Uh, I do want to briefly mention at least Racing Point. This is their most successful weekend of the season, maximizing that car, whatever you think of the merits of that car. They probably got the most out of it this weekend. Uh, Sergio Perez crossed the line first ahead of Lance Stroll, but copped a penalty, which swapped them in the order, essentially. So they still finished fourth and fifth. But I think it was, I mean, I don't want to overplay the fact that Perez missed the last couple of races, of course, in isolation with COVID-19 because, you know, he's a professional driver. He's been driving for a long time. He wasn't going to lose that much fitness or forget how to drive in that period of time. But I thought it was a really sort of iconic race for him in the sense that it relied on him stretching to a one-stop race the team didn't think was possible, was the more or you know maybe only marginally more competitive of the two drivers as a result of making only that one stop. Uh, and probably, depending on exactly what the rumour is at any given time, an important moment for him to show that, yes, he is still the driver that can be counted on on that team to pull off these kind of strategies. This was prime Sergio Perez territory, wasn't it, really? Like you said, you, like you said he's a master of tyre management. And I agree that he'd, he'd only missed a couple of races and he's a, an elite sports person. But I think that no one really knows what this virus does to the human body. And so I suppose um, even if he had mild symptoms, we weren't to know really what he would be like. He were, wasn't really to know what it would feel like back in the car. He admitted he was sore, but to be fair to him, he, he, he was on it from the very first practice session and he didn't let up until the last one. I think that desire 
and that frustration of seeing how good that car was at Silverstone and he wasn't in it and wasn't able to maximise the results um, really spurred him on. I think that this weekend um, proved why Racing Point was so keen to have him back in the car because I think that Checo is driving better than he's ever driven in his career and he is capable of getting more out of that car than most people on that grid. So they needed him back and he proved it. I know he didn't get the best result because of the five second time penalty um, for ignoring blue flags, but he was the better of those two drivers this weekend and that fourth place was very well deserved. Um, And it kind of proved to everyone at that pink team that they have got a car that is capable of strong results. Finally, we've got another team that, if things don't quite go right, they can maybe get a podium. Uh, sorry, if things don't quite go right for the top teams, they can snatch a podium. Um, and we haven't really had that that often um, in Formula One of late. Um, I was genuinely super impressed with Checo this weekend. I thought he was. I thought he was brilliant. Well, let's finally talk about the man who is potentially, speculatedly looking for that racing point seat, whether Sergio's or Lance's seat, and that's Sebastian Vettel. Had a notable, I think is the best way to describe, race. <laughs> Finished seventh. It wasn't quite his best result of the season, but it's sad to say it wasn't far off as well for a four-time world champion. Did it in uh, with a one-stop strategy, uh, one of only a couple of drivers who managed to pull that off, one of only two that scored points, the other, of course, being Sergio Perez. But... I don't think either he or the team really expected to run a one-stop strategy. One of the entertaining points of this Grand Prix was hearing his conversation with his engineer. It's worth looking at the transcript as well or finding some audio uh, online if it's on one of the highlights videos of Vettel and his conversation with his engineer as he essentially ran the calculations (laughs) himself, did the strategy himself to assess whether a one-stop was worthwhile. I mean, let's start with that more global point. Should the driver at that point in a race, when there's only one car in the race as well for Ferrari, Charles Leclerc having already uh, retired from this Grand Prix, be doing that strategy work? Um, I guess in modern Formula One, no. (laughs) But we are in uncertain and very different times at the moment. And um, Sebastian certainly feels like he needs to do something to rescue his reputation. What I would say about Sebastian is he is one of these drivers who um, is obsessed with knowing everything that is going on inside a team. Um, technically, on the strategy side, he, he busies himself and perhaps at times annoys other people by how much he wants to get involved. And I think at some time, points in his career, that's probably been a distraction. But in this scenario, because he's been so involved in the strategy and um, the potential for this race and how it can unfold, he was actually able, um, using his experience, of course, as well, to make that decision. I think he was, as he said, blessed by the fact that he could take risks, he could afford to, because frankly, what did he have to lose? I think his radio messages this season or his uh, conversations with the team have been among the most entertaining Um <laughs> But that's probably only because he's leaving the team and he can feel more confident um, in essentially saying what he really wants to say in a way that many drivers will probably bite their tongue to a point on team radio because obviously it's made public. Um, But, you know, I think he was frustrated because it sounded like just from the messages that we heard, um, Ferrari just suddenly decided to change strategy after having ignored him when he had asked that three laps earlier. And I think for him, when he's in the car, having a tough race in hot conditions, of course he's going to be frustrated that this has happened because he would have felt like 
that there was a real potential to make a one-stop work and he might have thrown that away just in those three laps because he hadn't um, looked after the tyres in the way that he would have done if he was trying to push in that strategy. So um, what he did, was it 36 laps that he managed on the soft towards the end? Yeah, it was, yeah. That's brilliant, um, (laughs) considering everyone was thinking that the soft wouldn't last. I know that obviously it was at a point in the race where he would have had much less fuel in the car. But the, manage, the fact that he managed to do that, um, I know it's difficult to overtake around Spain, but it is possible because I think Carlos passed him, obviously with a significant performance advantage. He still managed to hold up everyone else behind him. Um, and I know he, was, he wasn't that impressed by seventh, obviously, at the end of the race. He's a four-time world champion. But I genuinely do think there is something in there's some something in it. It shows his fighting spirit. It shows that he he still has got a lot to give. Um, and I think the fans voted him driver of the day um, again, which I think he found hilarious. Um, <laughs> I think um, I think it just shows that we've got it, he's still got something to give, um, Sebastian. And I hope that he can find a way forward with Ferrari that they can work together to to get some stronger results towards the end of the career because it's no good for either of them if they're not working together in harmony. I think that's absolutely right. He stopped on lap twenty nine off the medium tire, one of the few to start on the medium tire. He did a double stack with Charles Leclerc, actually, which was perhaps a little bit unusual for Ferrari, given it didn't really seem that required at that point in time. They're on different strategies, but they did it anyway. Perhaps a little bit earlier than ideal for a one-stop strategy, but then they didn't think they were doing one at that point. In fact, they didn't think they were doing one until they were already doing one. <laughs> uh, and as you said, managed to get 36 laps out of the soft tyre. Just as a final note on this, uh, and I think it is a little bit, there is that poignancy as you sort of touched on there, you know, there's this four-time world champion, he's having this horrific breakup with Ferrari, one of the famous teams of Formula One and the one he idolises as a kid, and it feels like there's a little bit of emotion coming out. It feels a little bit to me that the the radio messages we're hearing and the little bit of tension that seems to be between the team is almost the eruption of stuff that's been building up almost since he joined. And I'm sort of reminded of in 2017, remember he had a bit of a dodgy year at Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Kimi Raikkonen got quite close to him. I think he was told off a couple of times by, by uh, Maritu or River Berner, the team principal at the time, for thinking too much outside the cockpit, trying to get his um, himself involved, as you sort of said, in too many other things. And now it sort of feels like, you know, he's on his way out and that frustration of not being able to guide the team in the way that he believes obviously would have worked is coming out because, you know, after all this time there, they never managed to achieve that championship. They're obviously quite a way off this season and he's keen to defend that reputation. Do you think this is more this is more historic than just another typical season of bad Ferrari strategy calls? I think so. I think it's really nice that you picked up on that point because I think um, Sebastian is frustrated that um, Ferrari haven't listened to him enough over the period of time that he's been there. Um, he's, he obviously came with a wealth of experience and that was part of the reason why they why they got him on board, you know, as well as obviously the four world titles that he'd got done and dusted. But I think throughout, um, Sebastian has made suggestions um, of ways forward and more often than not, not, Ferrari have gone about it their own way, which is traditionally what Ferrari have done in the history of Formula One. They've it's their way really or or, or no way and um, I think both Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel have found uh, great frustration in that Um, both great drivers um, both leaving the team unfulfilled and I think that perhaps that is something that Ferrari 
need to consider if you're going to bring in a driver uh, with immense experience who's already proven that they can win and deliver the kind of results that you've actually brought them in for, why not listen? I agree that you shouldn't let them get too involved because their primary role is to drive the car, but you've got to listen to them at some point because the driver feel, the driver feedback is so important. I mean, at the end of the day, they're driving the car and I thought it was interesting that two Italian media vettel suggested the team's no longer listening mm. to him when he was trying to assess the strategic options of this race and I think the picture more broadly at Ferrari. So good few talking points to come out of this Spanish Grand Prix. The end of six races in seven weekends. The schedule <laughs> is intense. We've got another three coming up in only a week's time. Get excited. Uh, but no more at Barcelona. So that's okay for anyone who might be so concerned. Look, Lawrence, I apologise and thank you in equal measure for looking back at this race with me. No, I tell you what, though, at the end of all that, that that was pretty good. There's loads (laughs) of talking points that came out of that race. I appreciate it wasn't the most exciting to watch, but I think often in Formula One, it's... I know this sounds silly, but it's not always about the racing, is it? It's about the things that are bubbling up underneath it in some ways. And so at least the, at least we've had something to talk about today, Michael. Hopefully, hopefully someone will listen. No, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks very much for having me. That was F1.com senior writer Lawrence Barreto. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcast app, plus all of your social channels. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're looking for an alternative take on the Spanish Grand Prix, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcast app of choice to hear us talk about MotoGP instead. My name's Michael Laminato. You can look me up on Twitter, at Michael Laminato. Stay tuned next week for a preview of the Belgian and Italian Grand Prix.